Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figilene Mwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa assumes presidency of the UN Security Council. And South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister faces cross-examination. And in economics news, South African Broadcasting Corporation responds to CWU Memorandum of Demands. But first up, the news with Anne SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. South Africa has assumed the presidency of the United Nations Security Council for the month of December, its final month on the UN organ responsible for international peace and security. South Africa has used its term to foster a closer linkage with between the UN and the African Union, tried to re-envision the Council's inability to move the Palestinian cause closer to resolution while finding its voice amid competing interests that continue to raise serious questions about the body's declining legitimacy. Showen Price-Peace reports. South Africa has 31 days left in the Council with Envoy Ambassador Jerry Machila acknowledging that one simply cannot change the world in two years. In an interview with SABC News, he said they continue to work to make impactful decisions to move the different conflict files on the Council's agenda towards resolution, but that their complexities and varied interests often make consensus difficult. He says the Council is awaiting a report from the AU envoys appointed to help resolve the devolving situation in Ethiopia, welcomed progress being made in Libya towards a long-term political solution, but lamented the Council's inability to move Palestine any closer to statehood. The South African government says it wants to get more HIV-positive people on treatment now to increase chances of meeting the global targets of ending HIV and to improve the outcomes of the country's HIV-AIDS response. The country's main AIDS day event will be led by the Deputy President David Mabuza in Soweto this morning. South Africa's launched the Welcome Back campaign aimed at attracting more people living with HIV to start taking antiretrovirals and improve their health. This comes as South Africa joins the World today in commemorating World AIDS Day. South Africa currently has 7.6 million people living with HIV, making it the nation worst affected by the disease. The UN set targets of ensuring 90% of the population knows the HIV status, 90% are on HIV treatment, and 90% of those on treatment have the virus suppressed by 2021. CEO of the National AIDS Council, Sanak, Dr. Tembisile Kulu. The second 90 is very concerning, though, because at a nationwide level, we're at 71%, which means we have a treatment gap of about 19%. The third 90 is sitting at 88%, and that is the one that relates to viral suppression. And 88% might sound good related to 90%, 
But if you look at the 88%, it's related to the 71% who are on treatment. We are behind on treatment initiations, and as a result, we are also behind on viral suppression, which means we need to get people on treatment, get them to stay on treatment, uh, and also then to be virally suppressed. More than 40 people have been arrested in Senegal after police raid at reform centers linked to an influential Muslim spiritual lead and opposition politician. More than 370 people were freed from the centers during raids carried out from Thursday to Saturday on the centers linked to Serene Modo Karambeke. The arrests were part of an investigation into alleged human and cannabis trafficking as well as the theft of scooters. Militant fighters linked to Al-Qaeda have fired rockets at three military bases in northern Mali in what is a rare coordinated attack on foreign forces. French military bases in Kidal, Manaka and Gao were hit, although no deaths or injuries were reported by officials. A spokesperson says a UN base in Kidal was damaged. Earlier this month, French forces killed Ba'ach Moussa, a military leader of Mali's most prominent group known as JNIM. France has more than 5,000 troops in the Sahel. Despite international efforts, the jihadist violence has steadily spread from Mali across the region. And finally, new analysis seen by the BBC suggests that the goals of the UN Paris Climate Agreement are getting within reach. The Climate Action Tracker Group looked at new climate promises from China and other nations, along with the carbon plans of the U.S. President-elect Joe Biden. These commitments would mean the rise in world temperatures could be held to 2.1 Celsius by the end of the century. Previous estimates indicate up to 3 degrees Celsius of heating with disastrous impacts. Dr. Bill here carried out the analysis. The big change was China's really stunning announcement. So when you add all that up, along with what a whole bunch of other countries are doing, you move the temperature dial from around 2.7 degrees uh, to really quite close to 2 degrees. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa from an African perspective. It's 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. South Africa has sought to build consensus in the United Nations Security Council despite the complexities of conflicts on its agenda. That's the view expressed by the country's envoy to the United Nations as South Africa assumes the presidency of the council for the month of December, its final month serving on the body responsible for international peace and security. Pretoria has used its term to foster a closer linkage with between the United Nations and the African Union, try to re-envision the council's inability to move the Palestinian cause closer to resolution while finding its voice amid competing interests that continue to raise serious questions about the body's 
declining legitimacy. Show and Bryce Peace reports from New York. It will be the country's swan song on the Security Council after almost two years, ending with a flourish as president of the council for the month of December. One of the lessons, as I said, is no, you are only there for two years. You'll be out of two years. So you cannot change the world in two years. Ambassador Jerry Machila says they continue to work to make impactful decisions that can move the different files forward, but that conflicts from Afghanistan to Yemen, South Sudan, Mali, the DRC and elsewhere are complex with varying interests that often make consensus very hard to reach. This as the council is being criticized for dragging its feet in responding to the crisis in Ethiopia. We knew at the council this is a serious thing. When the president dispatched such high-level and unique composition of envoys, it means Africa have understood the gravity of the situation. So normally as we do as diplomats, we give over to our leaders. It is in their hands. They've went there. They've conveyed the concerns of Africa, the concerns on the world on, on what is happening there. We are conscious that um, the problem affects the neighborhood. And that's why we were um, uh, slightly um, um, uh, encouraged when you saw the IGAS member state, President Museveni of Uganda, Prime Minister Hamdok, and other leaders in that region talking with their brothers and sisters in Ethiopia to say, headly differently. So the council is waiting now. He pointed to progress in Libya that has seen a cessation of hostilities and the continuation of a political dialogue that has agreed an electoral roadmap by December 24th, 2021. But on the Palestinian question, Machila argued that efforts have simply not produced the desired results. Palestine had been squeezed and squeezed. If you look at the geography of Palestine, and go back to 1967, they've lost so much territory. So we tried our level best, but of course, um, our friends in Israel also have very strong supporters who believe and see things differently towards peace. And, and it is in these uh, kind of circumstances that where we think as developing countries, non-aligned movement and similar thinking countries that we need to push and push and push. But unfortunately, as we will exiting at the end of the year, I must admit, currently now, Palestine is west off than it was uh, uh, a while ago. The South African envoy argued that despite the likely failure to silence the guns in Africa by 2020, that the continent was moving in the right direction. What it brings us to is that um, at least in 2020, we have relative peace in um, Sudan, South Sudan, CAR, in uh, Guinea-Bissau. We have relative peace in the DRC, albeit the eastern three states. We have peace in Burundi. So what it says to us is that uh, although we don't have literally guns being silent the continent, so at least the continent is moving more and more towards one person, one vote or election as against pulling the trigger.
President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to chair a council debate on Friday on cooperation between the United Nations and regional and sub-regional organizations, including the African Union. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. A former South Africa's Revenue Service Commissioner Tom Moyani has accused Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordhan of arrogance, petty, jealousy and racism. The legal team representing former SARS Commissioner Moyani told the State Capture Commission Gordhan has denied Moyani's assertions and accused him of advancing state capture. Tsepo Mungwai reports. The hearing started with heated exchange from the beginning. At first, the legal team representing former SARS Commissioner Tom Moyani accused the inquiry of delaying the proceedings. Moyani's lawyer, Dalim Pofu, blamed the commission of allowing Gordan to give long answers on matters that are already public knowledge. Gordan was cross-examined by Moyani's legal counsel over his testimony that he presented before the commission last year before Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. Mpofu explains. But what is now happening is a rehash of Mr. Kodan's evidence and him reading long passages from affidavits that are already before the commission. No useful purpose can be served by that except to waste time. Then that's going to detrimentally affect the pace and um, progress of the cross-examination. So, Chair, I mean, Mr. Kodan has given this evidence here. He gave it for over two days. If the evidence leaders did not ask those questions so that they can uh, focus his evidence, which I charge they did not, uh, because they allowed him to go on and on. You can't have another chance now to, to do what was done in November 2018. Gordon told the commission that he stood by his evidence. However, the former finance minister also admitted that he doesn't have all the details to prove wrongdoing against the people he is accused of corruption. This after Moyani's legal counsel questioned Gordan over his allegation of state capture involving certain individuals, including Moyani and the public protector. Mpofu also asked Gordan to explain himself on how Moyani's refusal to account to him constitutes state capture. Gordan told the commission that he is not on a trial and that it's Moyani who must explain himself before the commission. My job is also not to accept instructions from you, or do you not have evidence that I, 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 the public I, I, protector was involved I, I, in state capture? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me make it absolutely clear that I am not on trial. It is Advocate Mpofu's client who must come and testify what he did at SARS, not me. Okay, let's, 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 let's take... Whether I must answer questions in relation to the public protector and whether that's the scope you intended. I am Tepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Ona and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One. Hashtag Vision 2030. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka.
It's 7.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The United Nations says more than 100 farm workers were killed after they were attacked by armed men on motorcycles in northeastern Nigeria. The killings are believed to have taken place in the early afternoon of Saturday in the village of Koshobe and other rural communities in the Jere local government area near Maiduguri, the capital of the conflict hit Borno state. There has been no claim of responsibility for the attack, but the armed group Boko Haram and its splinter faction, the Islamic State in West Africa province, Iswap, have carried out a series of deadly assaults in the area in recent years. According to Bridget Osakwe, Nigeria's coordinator for the West Africa Network for Peace Building Group, WANEP, the latest attack shows the determination of assailants to derail peace and stability in the country. I just came back from Meduguri where we are doing some peace building work in that place. And hearing this, of course, disorganizes and puts us into a very difficult situation. And for, for me, we have completing a report about the number of deaths. I'm not going to be talking about that, but I want to look at the angle, take it from the angle of the rehabilitation that is being done by the government. Sure. From our uh, research, we have done two researches on rehabilitation that is being carried out. And what we find out is each time the government said they are rehabilitating 600 people, I just send them back to the society. And what they do after them, they claim that they monitor. One of the villagers that was talked to said, these people that captured them are among the people that have been coming around. So they have been informed between the Boko Haram members and the community. So I, I am suspecting that part of the people that were released as being rehabilitated are those people that are used for this kind of operation. Just gather them together and just massacre the lot of people. Right now, I have got my people on ground to get me the aggregated um, data on how many men, women, boys and girls. For me, we have lost our humanity in Nigeria. Now, but do you believe that uh, the murdered farmers were targeted? I think that they want to make a statement. And making a statement is having to bring a lot of people together and murder them. One. And a trust to food security, again, increases their capacity, increases their strength, increases their stance. Yes, they were targeted. We understand that uh, the governor of uh, Bono State has, uh, in the wake of uh, these killings, encouraged uh, local people to become vigilantes, to join civilian groups to try to protect themselves. Is uh, this uh, the correct route to take, do you think? In a, in a, a situation like that, what does he do when, obviously, the federal security uh, structure had saved him? You will agree with me how many times a governor of a state was attacked. The governor is supposed to be the chief security officer. He, was, he has been under threat and attack in his own state. And so for him, he thinks that the federal um, uh, security has saved him and that he wants to use his own apparatus. And this calls to mind why people are calling for state policing in Nigeria. A lot of the regions are establishing their own policing structures which he is doing. Don't you think uh, this will complicate uh, the situation even further if uh, people join uh, vigilantes? Uh, Don't you think it will make matters even worse? 
the matters are already worse. The matters are already worse. But what he said, when I listened to him over the television, was that he was going to update the existing civilian JTS. There's an existing structure that has been an interface between the um, former uh, security structure and the civilian uh, system. So he just said he was going to upgrade that. And if we had an effective um, community policing, that is what it, it should have done, community policing. And that is what they are defining in the first structure to meet their, their hopes. That's uh, Bridget Osakwe, National Coordinator for the West Africa Network for Peace Building Group in Nigeria, and she was speaking to Kumbela Munjelele. It is 7.20 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa's government wants to get more HIV-positive people on treatment now to improve the, com- the outcomes of the country's HIV-AIDS response. It has therefore launched the welcome back campaign to encourage more people living with HIV to start taking antiretrovirals and improve their health care. This comes as South Africa joins the world in commemorating World AIDS Day today, Tuesday the 1st of December in the year 2020. South Africa currently has 7.6 million people living with HIV, which makes it the country with the highest HIV epidemic in the world. Tabilembele reports. Of the 7.6 million people living with HIV, 4.8 million of them are adult women, 2.5 million are men and 300,000 children. About 74,000 people died of HIV-AIDS related complications last year alone. Over the past decade, South Africa has been able to reduce the number of new HIV infections by close to 60% thanks to the scaling up of HIV programs and access to treatment. The United Nations set ambitious targets of ending AIDS through its 1990-90 program, where countries were expected to ensure that 90% of the population knows their HIV status, 90% of those who are positive are on HIV treatment, and 90% of those on treatment have the virus suppressed by 2021. The CEO of the South African National AIDS Council, Senec, Dr. Tembisile Kulu, says the country is doing well on the first 90%, with the national number at 93%. The second 90 is very concerning, though, because at a nationwide level, we're at 71%, which means we have a treatment gap of about 19%. The third 90 is sitting at 88%, and that is the one that relates to viral suppression. And 88% might sound good related to 90%, but if you look at the 88%, it's related to the 71% who are on treatment. We are behind on treatment initiations, and as a result, we are also behind on viral suppression, which means we need to get people on treatment, get them to stay on treatment, uh, and also then to be virally suppressed. New research shows that women who contract HIV after giving birth are seemingly passing it on to their babies during breastfeeding. This is reversing progress made in the prevention of the mother-to-child transmission program, which has been able to ensure that babies are born HIV-free. So you might have saved your child during pregnancy and childbirth, which are high potential errors of transmission. You'll get a child that is born HIV-negative, but if the mother has got a high viral load and she breastfeeds, then 
the child can acquire HIV from the mother during the time of breastfeeding, which is after birth, purely because the mother is not on treatment. Currently, 240,000 young women aged between 15 and 24 are infected with HIV in this country every single year. While there are interventions aimed at reducing this number of new HIV infections in this age group, they're not yielding positive results yet. The Treatment Action Campaign says these campaigns ought to be run by young people who are living with HIV themselves. Sibongile Shabalala is the chairperson of the Treatment Action Campaign. We have lots of young people who are born with HIV. Those young people are teenagers, are young adults. We don't have any programs that talk to them. What we have learned over the years is that now we are losing them on treatment because there is no treatment can support for them. As much as there is something that is written down on the policy or like your strategic plan, but implementation on the ground is something different. If they are not taking their treatment, it means they will clip with their peers and the infection rate of HIV it will be higher. An NGO shouted out now says young women are disproportionately affected by HIV and gender-based violence and they need to be empowered to fight the two pandemics. Christian Wendler is the organization's behavioral programs and GBV manager. We often think that young people, they shouldn't make their own decisions. And so when it comes to something as important as their sexual health, a lot of young women feel very disempowered and don't have access to services to make their own choices. And so Shannon now is very much focused on this population to ensure that they have a different experience with us. The important thing is that we equip them with information, tools, services that they can access when and how they want and that they leave feeling empowered to make the decisions for their health that are right for them. In his weekly newsletter to the nation, President Cyril Ramaphosa says South Africa needs to work harder on HIV prevention among key populations, including sex workers, men who have sex with men and people who inject drugs. Premier Alan Windy of South Africa's Western Cape Province has urged residents to continue to adhere to strict COVID-19 safety protocols in order to slow down the rate of infections. Last week, the infection rate increased by 52% in the province. Corbin August reports. The Garden Route and the Cape Metro are among the areas that have seen a sharp increase in active cases. Western Cape Premier Alan Windy says the provincial government is extremely concerned about the continuous increase in COVID-19 infections. We issued an alert for the garden route because we saw these numbers just going up and up. Now we're seeing similar trends happening in the city of Cape Town. So uh, across the city, we're also seeing a resurgence in numbers. We classify a resurgence when there's more than a 20% increase in cases week on week, and uh, it's way above 20% week on week. It's now sitting at 52.1% increase in cases week on week in this province. The Western Cape Department of Health says their teams are on high alert for surveillance and response to deal with the sharp increase in COVID-19 infections which have been recorded in some areas. Head of the department, Dr. Keith Klutter, says there is also a need for greater enforcement of COVID-19 safety protocols. The biggest concern is the non-adherence to the behaviours. There's a big need for targeted enforcement and behaviour change in relation to our interventions. Our hospital data, very worryingly, are showing a rapid increase and the mortality rates are also starting to increase. The vulnerable people are being exposed. The Western Cape currently has around 10,000 active COVID-19 cases. This brings the total number of positive cases in the province to nearly 131,000, 
with just over 116,000 recoveries. More than 4,600 people have died from the virus. Windy has also appealed to residents of the province to scale down on big family events during the festive season. I'm Corbin August in Cape Town. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandaluni Ndlovu and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa on the headlines. The South African government says it wants to get more HIV-positive people on treatment now to increase chances of meeting the global targets of ending HIV and to improve the outcomes of the country's HIV-AIDS response. Militant fighters linked to Al-Qaeda fired rockets at three military bases in northern Mali in what is a rare coordinated attack on foreign forces. And U.S. President Donald Trump's special advice on the Coronavirus. Dr. Scott Atlas has resigned. Those are the stories making headlines. 
Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. Self-confident. On top of the situation. Capable of picking up improbabilities, contradictions. He was imposing. He was a very tough negotiator. He didn't come up with a, a statement to the negotiations of trying to take revenge, of blame, criticism, bitterness, retribution. What he did was to get into the mind of his adversary. I don't think that 27 years was a waste. It was quite crucial in the making of who he turned out to be. Nelson Mandela, the key to our freedom, reconciliation and unity. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Minister of Social Development Lindua Zulu has appealed to South Africans to be actively involved in the prevention of violence against women and children in the country. Zulu expressed concerns over escalating attacks on women and children and the LGBTI community despite the ongoing awareness campaigns. Zulu, together with Free State Premier Sisintombela and MEC of social development and police officially opened a shelter for gender-based violence victims in Waterville as part of this year's 16 days of activism of no violence against women and children. Mahala Masiting reports. Violence against women and children is on the rise. The scourge continues despite ongoing campaigns that the country adopted since 1998 as part of strategies to intervene and create a society free of violence. Some members of the community expressed their shock at the alarming rate of violence. Our township uh, and at Khozong and Botabil at large, there are so many cases of victims, domestic violence, and etc etc so today we are so happy to see this and also the Pelononofa shelter to be here at our township and i'm feeling sad because these things happen in our area our committing our children our parents our grandmother our grandfathers we don't know where to go now we need help all over we wish one day this thing will be and we don't know when and how Baile Pule says more education is needed on LGBTI community. Thinking of, of LGBTI again, we are the society that is not being 
well recognized because people they still need more education especially from our churches our schools and stuff those kind of people they are still uh, experiencing the huge abuse so they don't feel that they do belong uh, where other people are belonging so uh, i think that we do need a lot of education uh, regarding the abuse uh, of, of uh, uh, children and women yeah, in general. Minister of Social Development Lindy Wezulu says it is worrying that some victims of violence don't get the necessary assistance from the police. Maybe here and there you'll find those that are not doing well, particularly the ones that don't treat women very well when they get to the police station where they have to come and report a case. But also let us be uh, frank about it that the very same people who have to be dealing with these cases they go back to their homes and in their home that's where uh, the abuse of women is happening that's why we're talking about prevention prevention is about family members first and foremost being conscious when they see it they talk about it when they hear a woman and a child crying they talk about it free state premier Sintombela also weighed in this thing of gender-based violence it is increasing and it is becoming more dangerous. You know, in Free State only, children that have been killed from April up to now, 22 of them, and the youngest one was 18 months old. I'm saying she was raped and killed. It is really painful. And children that have been raped in Free State only from April up to now. The statistic shows that it's 196. Authorities say the shelter has already welcomed three victims of violence. Amakhala Masiteng in Bautaville. It's 7.37 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. There's concern in South Africa on how lack of self-control by powerful men leads to the destruction of their families, career and future. In the past few months, a number of scandals have been splashed across media and social media platforms of men, particularly black men, that have been unfaithful to their wives and the very public fallout that has resulted. A recent incident is that of TV personality Katlehoma Boy, who, ha- who was accused by his partner of cheating. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Dominic Khaubebe, partner at Cohesion Collective, a leading diversity and inclusion consulting and training firm. Dominic, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. I hope I pronounced your surname correctly. Uh, good morning, Lulu, and yeah, uh, well done. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, right. great. Now, Dominic, a trend of men um, who were seen, seen to be in the spotlight, doing very well for themselves um, in society, Who? what is the biggest uh, concern currently of what we're seeing in, in you know, on social platforms, in the media, being uh, put out there for, you know, society to see? Yeah. No, thank you. It's 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 been disheartening. Really seeing story after story and the things that are happening, and you're seeing men that are married and really falling, 
uh, at a point at which when they're needing to stick to their guns, they actually compromise on their values. And we're seeing some of the consequences that are there. I think, unfortunately, we are living in a culture where things that are toxic are being elevated and those things that can actually serve us and protect us are the ones that are looked at as stiff. So it's a culture that is celebrating that as men, we need to have multiple women in order to show our virility as men. It is a culture that encourages us that, you know what, my brother, you only live once. So you do you. You do that which makes you happy. Rather than really having a culture that calls us to account to say as men, we need to have integrity. We need to do that which is right rather than that which is convenient. And so when we see men lacking integrity, lacking character, the consequences, unfortunately, are immense. There are children that are involved. There are partners that are involved. There are families that are involved. And it was really through that lens and through that heavy heart that I put down these reflections. Now, with the saying, um, with power comes great responsibility, what seems to be going wrong? Um, You know, is it really self-control or is it, um, you know, arrogance and and, and just uh, a power thing? I think essentially, if you think of how it is that we run a society, in order for you to be able to get behind the wheels of a car, we've got a stringent process for you to get your learners, to get your license, before we can deem you competent to get behind driving a car. In order for you to get married, all we say is that you need to have two witnesses and go to home affairs, and there you go, you're married. All right. And so as a result of that, I mean, even you as professionals within the studio, you need to do journalism. You need to study uh, that which is a craft in order for you to be a professional. But when it comes to marriage, all we require are two witnesses. Bob's your uncle. There you are. You're married. So sometimes we may think that it is just arrogance, but actually we have not taught men to be men. We have not taught husbands to be husbands. If you need to be licensed in order to get behind a car, how on earth are we putting people in charge of running entire families and we don't have anything that we have structured within our societies to say, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a husband? The story that was playing even before our interview regarding gender-based violence, as a society, we're going to respond and say, let's increase our policing. Let's get more strict within our laws without actually speaking to the, uh, the rot and that which is at the roots that we've got a society that is sick. Our men are broken. But instead of going to the causes, we are dealing with the consequences and all of us are confused regarding the carnage that we're seeing around us without really speaking to the heart of saying, how do we fix these broken men? Because clearly we have not served them and really grown them and to ensure that they've got that character and integrity to understand and not compromise on their values. Does it go back to, um, you know, how our societies have become more westernized or, or modernized, where you think back from the stories that we used to get from our parents as young children to say, you know, um, before you get married, you would uh, have conversations with the elderly of the community. And uh, whether you were uh, a Dominic's child or daughter or son, uh, Dominic's uh, uh, friend, Sfiso or, or, or girlfriend, can, you know, you know, in today, we cannot do that. You cannot speak to a child um, without their, their parents being present. You cannot uh, rebuke children in, in a public space without their parents' uh, uh, consent because then mm. you are attacking those children. This is what is seen in today's terms. How do we work around that? Because there, back then, 
A community used to bring up children, and today it's family to family. Yeah. Our, our communities have pretty much been broken. <laughs> right? uh, we look at even some of our elders, and we cannot even draw that kind of wisdom that's required from them, because we even have some people now even abusing culture, uh, abusing spirituality within these spaces. And so the work that we're now needing to do is how do we get back to those roots ourselves? How do we draw and ask on people that can truly share wisdom regarding how it is that we need to be within our spaces? All right? But I think even from a personal perspective, there's some basic things that we can get right, that even in the absence of having that community support, we can once again build strong families. So number one, do I know what my values are? And when I know what my values are, can I hold myself to a standard not to compromise on those values? So myself personally, I value my spirituality, number one. I value my character, number two. I value my marriage, number three. I value my son, and I value the work that I do in that order. At a point at which I get involved in things in my life that compromise my spirituality, my character, my marriage, um, myself as a family man and the work that I do, at the point at which I compromise those things, things fall apart. But when I know my values and if I value my marriage, I'm not going to compromise my marriage. I will ensure that I protect it at all costs. And so I think it is us at a very basic level to revisit what do we value in our lives and once we've established those values how do we hold ourselves to a standard where we do not compromise on that because even in the absence of elders we can still grow a solid family we can still be solid people of character we can have integrity where our words our deeds and our actions are aligned because the people we are in private shows up to being the people that we are in public How do we then move forward very quickly? We have a lot of time, but how do we move forward and ensure that uh, we, we build a society or work towards a society that is caring, understanding, and uh, that Mm. has the future in, in their sights? Yeah, definitely. I think number one, what's important in order to ensure that I provide a balance for you is infidelity and abuse of power is not something that is unique to black men. By virtue of how it is that our media and the stories that come out, it may seem like that, but it is not something that is inherent or biological to black men. But I'm speaking to my brothers because I hold us to a higher standard because we cannot afford to be weak role models. What can we do going forward? Three things. Number one, we need to commit ourselves to a set of values without compromise. Number two, we need to set a standard for ourselves against which we hold ourselves without wavering. And number three, if we can make ourselves prisoners to our own convictions, We don't need anyone else to hold us accountable because we will always do the right thing even when it's not convenient. Dominique, I wish we could take this even further, but unfortunately we have run out of time. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much, Julia. I appreciate it. That is Dominique Chaubebe, a partner at Cohesion Collective, a leading diversity and inclusion consulting and training firm, joining us on the line. It's 7.46 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Good morning. South Africa's Department of Energy says that the petrol price is set for another decrease at midnight, this time of 13 South African cents per litre. Diesel, however, will increase by 19 cents a litre. 
Illuminating paraffin will also increase by as much as 38 cents a litre. AA spokesperson Leighton Beard says that the rand appreciated against the US dollar, leading to a lower contribution to basic fuel prices. National petroleum prices, the international oil prices have really spiked in the last couple of weeks, specifically the last two weeks of November. And although the rand has fared very well against the US dollar, the strength hasn't really been enough to offset that spike in the international prices. And that's why we're seeing this bit of a mixed bag of the fuel prices. I think the silver lining is is that at the moment the rand looks stable against the dollar. And if that trend continues, then obviously, you know, looking further ahead from December going into January, that's also good news for motorists. South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Godon has admitted at the State Capture Commission that he doesn't have all the evidence against the people he is accused of corruption. The lawyer for former SARS Commissioner Tom Moyani, advocate Dalimbofu, questioned Gordon over his allegations of state capture involving certain individuals including Moyani and the public protector. Mbofu also asked Gordon, who was a finance minister during the period in question, to explain how Moyani's refusal to account to him constitutes state capture. The South African Broadcasting Corporation says it has responded to the Communication Workers Union's Memorandum of Demands. The public broadcaster, however, says it will not divulge the details of the response until the union has communicated the message to its members. The CWU had given SABC management until Monday to respond to its demands or face intensified strike action. The union wants an immediate end to the planned retrenchment of as many as 400 permanent staff and the withdrawal of redundancy letters that have already been issued to some workers. It has also called for the board to be dissolved and for the SCBC to be placed under administration. Government officials in Zimbabwe have lambasted each other during an information communication technology summit in Nyanga, with one ministry demanding explanation over delays in infrastructure sharing by telecoms firms, while another said it was insane not to understand the importance of the strategy. Infrastructure sharing was a among key topics that came under discussion during the summit organized by the Computer Society of Zimbabwe. The Zimbabwe Council for Higher Education passed their counterparts in the ICT ministry, or rather they pressed them to explain the delays. Zambia has recorded an increase of non-traditional exports earnings by 1.4% in October. This is attributed to the rise in non-agricultural products exports. The non-agricultural products exported compromised precious stones, which accounted for 13.6%. 
Portland cement at 8.1% and non-alcoholic beverages at 7.7%. The US dollar is trading at a 378.33 Nigerian Nara. 1089 Botswana Pula, 1094 Kenyan shilling, and 2095 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar costs 5 rule 34 in Brazil. In Russia, 76 ruble 17, India, 73 rupees 89. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 61.57, and in South Africa, it will cost you 15 rand 33. The US dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 83 cents to euro. Gold $1,769 and platinum now $58 per ounce, while Brent crude oil is at $47.75 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. Thank you. Tabi Saw Sports Update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we begin with Olympic news. The Olympic Rings monument was reinstalled in Tokyo Bay after being removed in August for maintenance as organizers ramp up preparations for next year's postponed summer games. Tokyo Metropolitan Government Planning Director Atsushi Yanashimuzu says the return of the monument, which stands 15.3 meter tall and 32.6 meter wide and was originally installed in January, should send a signal that the games are getting closer. The monument, which will be lit up later on, will remain in place next to Rainbow Bridge until the Olympics finish in August before being replaced with the Paralympics logo. The Olympics were pushed back by a year in March because of the novel coronavirus pandemic and organizers have yet to provide a figure for how much the postponement will cost. Springbok Rugby World Cup winning wing, Chelsea Colby has expressed his preferential desire to feature in the British and the Irish Lions tour to South Africa as opposed to the rescheduled 2021 Olympic Games in Tokyo. The date for the event clash, however, the France-based player is open to either selection. Colby was part of the 2016 bronze medal team at the Rio Olympic Games. I'm here to enjoy my rugby, to play my best rugby and hopefully get selected um, by either coaches, whether it's going to be at the Olympics, the British and Irish Alliance. Um, but I'll definitely love to be a part of the British and Irish Alliance tour. Um, I haven't been a part of or haven't played in a tournament like that. I've, I had a bit of a taste of the Olympics back in 16, so I'd love to... to Get another opportunity, hopefully get an opportunity at the British and Irish Lions next year. Asanka Gurusina, the hard-hitting left-hander who was part of Sri Lanka's World Cup winning team in 1996, has been named the new Nigeria's men's national cricket team head coach and high-performance manager. Channel Africa's Tony Ubani reports. Commencing his new role on the first day of December, Gurusina will lead the Nigeria Cricket Federation's high-performance Unit and also act as co-trainer and mentor to the country's rapidly growing number of local coaches. The 54-year-old, who has spent many of his recently years in Australia, had an 
international career, played 41 tests and won 47 one-day internationals for Sri Lanka, highlighted with a crucial 65 runs scored in the final against Australia at Lahore in 1996. And finally, Brett Binder has arrived back on South African shores after an exceptional year racing the MotoGP circuit. In his maiden season, Binder finished in 11th place, earning the Rookie of the Year title. He won his first Grand Prix in only his third race and he has his sights set on the championship title. Binder announced his presence on the MotoGP circuit in emphatic fashion with a victory in only his third race at the Czech Grand Prix in August. 25-year-old jokes that it was the first race he finished properly. There's not many guys that can say they have won in their rookie year. It was actually my first race that I finished properly <laughs> because first race went off track, second race crashed out, third race I ended up winning, which which was amazing. I think it was unexpected for all of us, but um, to actually have get that job done and it's an accomplishment that uh, you know I've, it's something I've always dreamt of, it's something I've always worked towards and imagined what it would be like, and uh, finally get that win was incredible. Binder will be joined at the KTM factory squad next year by former Moto2 teammate Miguel Oliveira, who won the final race of the year, his home Grand Prix in Portugal. That's a Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That's a wrap of Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuto Ramagaza, technical producers Peso Mashiko and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at channelafrica1. I'll take us to the top of the hour. For the news is a track title, Santi Baroni. Goodbye and keep safe. <laughs>